I'm reading from Revelation chapter 1, verses 1 to 5. The revelation of Jesus Christ, which God gave him to show to his servants the things that must soon take place. He made it known by sending his angel to his servant John, who bore witness to the word of God and to the testimony of Jesus Christ, even to all that he saw. Blessed is the one who reads aloud the words of this prophecy, and blessed are those who hear and who keep what is written in it, for the time is near. John, to the seven churches that are in Asia, grace to you and peace from him who is and who was and who is to come, and from the seven spirits who are before his throne, and from Jesus Christ, the faithful witness, the firstborn of the dead, and the ruler of kings on earth, to him who loves us and who has freed us from our sins by his blood. This is the reading of God's word. You may be seated. Thank you, Miss Shirley. Good morning. My name's Dave. I'm one of the pastors here at Redemption, and I'm glad you're here with us that we get to get into our time together, kicking off a new series. We don't have a ton of time for formalities, so I just uh, want to let you know out of the gates, I have a stutter. If you're new or you've never heard me preach before, I always want to make sure that you know what that is, especially this morning, so we can focus on all the right things together. So go ahead and turn with me. If you have a copy of God's Word with you, a, uh, a Bible, then please turn to Revelation chapter 1. It's, uh, it's in the very back of the Bible, um, the last book. So and uh, just Anytime you struggle to find a book, hopefully this one will not be that hard. It's, there's no shame in going to the table of contents. Half of us use apps anyway, right? So it's easier. But for those of us that use the physical copy, you can go to the table of contents, find your way around. And uh, if you don't have one, though, I would encourage you to, okay? I would encourage you to follow along. Uh, again, always that's the case, especially these next uh, couple of months as we're in this book. So if you don't have one and you'd like one, will you hold your hand up high and keep it up and we will get you one, okay? And we also have some in Spanish if that's your, um, if you would prefer a Bible in Spanish. But again, if you want one, you don't own one or you just forgot it, hold your hand up, keep it up and uh, we will get you one. So with that, um, I just want to say out of the gates, I'm really excited and just candidly, I'm a bit nervous and um, just, yeah, just kind of excited. But, but uh, again, there's a sense of just the, the weight and the seriousness of what we're entering into this morning. It's, it's important for us to walk into this, this book. Uh, our church has never done this. We've never kind of dived into this book together. So this is a f first. We're almost 10 years in. And uh, actually not Actually, I think happy anniversary is in, in, in order. It's our ninth anniversary this morning as a church. So, yes, praise God. He is good and faithful. And, uh, you know, the ninth anniversary, the tenth, we're going big, all right? But ninth, it's like, oh, yeah, happy anniversary. Some of you all know what I mean. So um, let's pray together, all right, and ask God uh, to send the Holy Spirit to oversee our time this morning. Lord, we come before you as we've even prayed this morning already. We are, we are yours. We are sitting before you. Whether we acknowledge it or not, I confess on our behalf that we need you. 
that though the grass withers and the flower fades, the word of our God endures forever. And so we pray that the thoughts of our minds, that the, that the, the f- feelings and emotions, Lord, that the words of my mouth as I preach will be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Let's dive right in together. Revelation chapter one, verse one, the revelation of Jesus Christ, which God gave him to show to his servants the things that must soon take place. He made it known by sending his angel to his servant, John, who bore witness to the word of God and to the testimony of Jesus Christ, even to all that he saw. So a couple things out of the gates, all right, for us to kind of focus on. First is this is um, Jesus is the author here. Jesus is delivering a message. It goes in the order that we see is that God gives this message to Jesus who is God, right? And we will see that clearly throughout this. But Jesus God the Son is given this message, entrusted, and then he gives it to one of his angels who then gives it to this guy, John, who then writes this letter to seven churches in what's modern-day Turkey, okay, referred to as Asia Minor, seven churches around there. So uh, a couple things that that I want us to acknowledge acknowledge, sorry, I don't even know what that was. Um, A couple things that I want us to acknowledge out of the gates is that first, it's revelation, all right? There's no S on the end of it. It's okay. We're not going to play like theological hierarchy and shame each other if we get it wrong, right? The same thing if we read Psalm 1. It's not Psalms 1. It's Psalm 1, things like that. But again, let's not be like that, okay? Let's not be those people. But that said, it's important though still to acknowledge that revelation, that God is giving a message. He's, 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 he's telling truth. Now, something also just out of the gates, I want to kind of get out of the way. All right, right there in verse one, we see, sorry, I got to put my eyes back on here. Right there, he says, uh, he made it known by sending his angel to his servant, John. Um, and, and, and there's that, these things that must take place soon. All right, here it is. Okay. That's some of us. That's the whole two months is all about this, right? When's it going to be? So get your pens out and your papers. I'm going to let you know right now. Okay. Cause everyone's wondering when is this all going to happen? What's what's, what are the dates? No, I'm not going to give you that. Okay. I've learned from a lot of people, especially in the eighties, that's around when I was kind of growing up. And a lot of people made the mistake of kind of throwing out dates and being like, Oh, whoops, I got that wrong. Or I, I misjudged the math or I did this wrong. So, um, that's not the point. All right. Is like, when is this soon? Again, though, here is the point. Soon is somewhere between when this was written around 95, 96 AD and, uh, and now. And, and so somewhere between like the first century and now about 2,000 years later and maybe 1,000 years from now or two, you know, soon is in there. Okay, God said it. So that's the, the posture he's calling us to have and to understand. But he doesn't give us these exact dates. But again, out of the gates, I kind of want to get some of this stuff out of the way. All right, so we can just kind of, so we can settle into what matters together. There are, are four different approaches that people have with regard to the timing 
of when these things are going to happen, of revelation and some of the events that are going to happen that we're going to dive into and walk through in the next um, couple of weeks, in, in including some this morning. So here are the, the four different approaches that people have taken over the years. And the f- first is broken up into two I don't know why that number five's there. Maybe that's, that's on me. But anyway, um, someone, I don't know if I added those numbers or someone else. But right, you have three categories, but then two under, under the first heading. Premillennial. Um, there's classic and historic premillennial. Then there's dispensationalist premillennial. So both are premillennial, but there are two. They're actually very different in some ways. Then you have um, amillennial and then postmillennial. So... Um, by the way, R's and L's are my hardest, and there are tons of them in this. So again, Lord help us as, as I preach some of this series. But um, millennial is referring to the, the thousand-year reign of Jesus. And I'm not going to go into it and unpack all the details a whole bunch for us. But again, you might want to do some work on your own. But go to the right places, be in an RC, a redemption community, talk about this with some wise people. Don't just go on Google and dive into some deep dives and watch. There's a lot of craziness out there, okay? Um, so these, and so pre-millennial, all-millennial, post-millennial, those are the categories, all right? And it's talking about the timing. Is Jesus going to return once and then there's a thousand-year reign and then he returns again to, to have a, a final judgment? Or is it, when, when does that fall? Again, I, we could break it all down. Um, that's not the most important part. But there, it is important. There are some frameworks. And just because some of you won't be able to focus unless I just say, where am I coming from? Where are we coming from. Hopefully you've gotten the idea so far out of the gates that um, it's not the biggest I, the biggest deal or the most important thing. It's like, you've got to believe this one or this one. Um, I fall somewhere along premillennial, uh, classic historic premillennial and amillennial. So even that you could see, it's like, wait, you don't have it nailed down. You don't have, you're not going to try to convince everyone exactly. I I lean one way or the other, depending on where I'm at and depending on what I read. I think there's a lot of similarities with those, um, but I just want you to know that's the framework. I probably lean more classic, historic, pre-millennial, um, but, but that's where I'm coming from. If you don't understand those things, that's okay, but again, some of us uh, won't be able to move on unless you know that, and so there you go. Um, God bless you. Something else that I want all of us to just admit and embrace going in to this is most of us, whatever we're first exposed to, that's what we adopt. That's where we go. And again, a child of the 80s and growing up in a charismatic Pentecostal church and things like that, I was actually um, a dispensationalist premillennial. That was actually like a huge part of my life, my church, my home, my own walk with Jesus was formed in a lot of those ways. And there was a lot of good in that. All right. And so all of these categories have a lot of good and some scary, dangerous stuff that we need to avoid. But then as time went on, as I've studied, I went, I went some other ways. But I also want to acknowledge, um, so some of us just go with whatever we're first exposed to, right? If you grew up in, say, a, a Catholic church or a, or a mainline historic denomination, um, then likely what's labeled there is number four, uh, 
that then you would be that. I'm a millennial. That's a more more traditional approach. Again, if you grew up in a more charismatic church, um, then likely you were where I was in dispensationalist pre-millennial, um, maybe a more like reformed or Baptist church, and you might be classic historic pre-millennial. But I say all that also because this, we often what we're first exposed to, that's what we kind of hunker down into. Um, if you're wondering, by the way, like the Left Behind series, I'm not going to go, that would fall under dispensationalist pre-millennial. So just to throw you out, if you're wondering where that is, many of us still go the other route. Whatever is the craziest, spookiest thing that we first encountered, we then swing the pendulum and react to it. And now that's where we're at. All right, so some of us go with, oh, the first thing I was exposed to, that's the way I read Revelation. But others of us were like, oh, that was, I saw some wackiness in that. Now I'm gonna swing the pendulum over here and I'm gonna just try to unpack why that's completely off and wrong. Okay, now that we've gotten all that kind of out of the way, all right, and if I confused you, again, get, come back ne next week. Pastor Marcus will clean it all up. No, we'll end, be involved in a redemption community where we can unpack some of these things. We can walk through it and talk through it together. But I say all that, because that is not the point of revelation. All right, that is not the goal. God did not write a, where he's like the key master of a, like a, a theological scavenger hunt for us to just go in this dark room and have whiteboards. We're like Tony Stark, right? If you know the Iron Man, when he gets going, he has it. I don't even know how it all works. He puts on the glasses or whatever, and he sees all these things. It's like, no, that, and he pulls and then crumbles it up and throws it out. And that's how a lot of people, uh, many of us maybe, and that's how a lot of people treat revelation. And we get in there and we're like, okay, if you turn here and then you circle that and then you add that and then you drop the one and then you carry the seven and then you turn to this place, boom, got it, all figured out. And that just leads to all kinds of craziness and problems. Okay, we need to understand the point. The point is this, to comfort those who are terrified, to awaken those who are sleeping, and to call out those who are participating in worshiping false gods. Okay, the, my, our prayer as a staff, as pastors, as we enter into this time in revelation, is that God would light our church on fire. Not that we would have it all figured out so we could go out and shame everyone else or convince everyone else how we've got it, or we can go and get into a holy huddle and circle up here and do all this. No, but that we will understand who is Jesus? What has he done? What is he doing? What does it mean for us to follow him. And I believe that, again, for some of us, that means that, 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 that we have been sleeping and that we will be caught on fire, that we will, we will be in a loving way that God will shake us up and will set us free to be powerful and courageous on his mission, that we will proclaim and display the good news of Jesus in all of our lives, in all of life, the individually and corporately together. We will, we will stop focusing on ourselves and we will get off of our butts and that we will participate in the reality of what he is doing, that we will interact with the world as it really is 
All right, so with that, we need to understand how he wrote this thing, how we engage this thing. And let me just say, it's not the way we tend to treat Christianity in our world. Split on. Jesus is kind of the, the seasoning of, of, uh, of, of life. All right, we, we, we've got life and we have all these different, these different ingredients to kind of have a, a good life. And then, oh, the missing ingredients sprinkle on that secret sauce, right? That, that ju- Jesus juice. And that'll just get us, that'll get us there. No, Jesus is not the seasoning of life. He is life. And that is his message to his people. So three primary categories for what this book is as we walk through it is this here. You could throw it up on the screen. It is a circular letter. It is prophecy. And it is apocalyptic literature. Okay, so first, it's a, it's a circular l- l- header. Again, um, in the very beginning there in verse one, right? The revelation of Jesus Christ, which John gave to show to his servants the things that must soon take place. He sent his servant, John. And then down in verse four, John to the seven churches that are in Asia. Grace to you and peace from him who is and who was and who is to come. So again, this is this, an actual person, John, wrote from an actual place, as we'll see in a moment, the island of Patmos, God bless you, and he wrote to a particular people at a particular time in human history. So it's important first that we acknowledge this. I think, again, especially for us, because we can have what C.S. Lewis calls like generational arrogance. We just read this and open it up and think it's all about us. It's all about right now. It's all about what we're going through. It's all about COVID-19 or 20 or 21, whichever, right? It's all about these things and how does, oh, there it is. And like God wrote this thing over 2000 years ago, just for us right now to figure out. And it had nothing to do with the millions of Christ followers before, or specifically the ones who received this letter right then. Okay. This is a letter written at a specific time to a specific group of people meant to be circulated, handed around. Okay, he specifically names those churches in here, right? He, he says to all these, these, these churches, and you can see their names. We're going to actually walk through them next week, right? But he, he walks through all the different churches that are in Asia, and, 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 and he names them. And so we can know that, okay, what is this saying to us right now? Well, here's, here's a good, important framework for us to understand as we walk through this. Any letter of the Bible, right? Pastor Marcus walked through this last week. There are different genres, right? Use that French word, an important word for, is it French? I assume it sounds French. Okay, there, SAT word, that was it. And, and it's, 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 it's an, imp- well, it's one of the genres is a letter, all right? It's important for us to understand that it is written for us, but not to us, all right? That this letter is written to specific people in the mid-90s AD, 
sent around to them to be circulated, to be read, to be understand, they would understand a lot of stuff that we don't just naturally understand. So we have to dig in and do some work and try to put on their glasses and understand, oh, how would they be understanding this? What was going on in their world? So it's a circular letter. Now, what happens in this, just to kind of pick us up, is that um, right? Jesus is born around 1 AD, right? That's uh, Anno Domini, year of our Lord. Now you might have, some of you in school, you understand it's, it's often called CE, common era, right? Before common era, it was before Christ, all that. So I'm just, get that out of there again, if we're like confused how that happens. So around 1 AD, right? Some argue it was actually maybe more like four, but either way, right? Jesus is born. And then around age 30 or 33, Jesus goes and dies on the cross. And then he raises from the dead. And then he ascends next to the right hand of God, the father. And over 500 people saw him were, were there when he ascended to the right hand of God the Father. Hey, am I cutting out, by the way? No? Okay, good. I'll look over here if I am. It, it kind of feels like whenever I step this way, I'm cutting out. So no, no, no offense over here to you guys, but I'll just look over here if I feel like I can hear myself better. But, um, okay, so, okay, so around 30 AD, all right? Jesus ascends and he says, I'm going to send the Holy Spirit. He's going to fill you. You're going to be my witnesses. And, and then there's like 30 years of just massive revival. Just felt like someone preaches a sermon and like five plus thousand people put their faith in Jesus. And then a couple weeks later, someone else just opens up and reads like, like, like plagiarizes a sermon and then 5,000 more people trust Jesus. And it's just crazy. It's like, they, you don't have to have the best worship team or the best, you know, donuts or whatever. It's like, God's just working and people are coming to faith and the church is like, this is amazing. Well, then all kinds of persecution starts under Emperor Nero and then after him and then Emperor Domitian, like crazy persecution. Like, like Christians are dipped in oil and then lit on fire alive to like to decorate the Roman gardens. And then people are watching their loved ones executed because they're, 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 they're declaring their faith in, in Jesus. Like the year, like we think 2020 was bad, right? It was rough. It was not fun, by the way. I, in like a year period, I lost two family members, my dad and my brother. And all, I, right, our church was a mess. Everything was a mess. The world's a mess, everything. We're, and we're just like, man, this is so horrible. And, and if, and it is, okay, I don't want to dismiss that. But just for some, some perspective, that wasn't persecution. All right, we, we weren't experiencing persecution. Uh, right now in this, in the world right now, many of our brothers and sisters around the world are. Many family members even of people in this room, in China, in India, in different parts of the world are experiencing this kind of persecution. But again, just for perspective, so we understand the year 70 AD, uh, the temple in Jerusalem was destroyed. Okay, so where the church like basically starts, the apostolic church, where the Holy Spirit descends and then, you know, 5,000 people put their faith in Jesus in that exact same place, Rome comes in and just wipes it out. They don't just make them wear masks. They just demolish the whole thing and kill all kinds of people. And then that same year, I just recently learned this, um, Paul and Peter... And 
Timothy, who wrote, a, these, those three wrote a good chunk of the New Testament, all of them are killed in the same year. So again, like put ourselves in these people's shoes. And then about 20 years after that, um, these people are sitting there. Some are cowering in the corner. Like, why continue? I guess we got it wrong. We, the church age is past. There were 30 years of incredible stuff, but this just might, this isn't really working for me anymore. I don't really taste that, 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 that flavoring that was sprinkled on my life anymore. And then others are maybe lulled to sleep and say, yeah, that, that Jesus juice, that salt that was added to my life isn't really working now. I'm going to try some of this other stuff. Rome maybe has it going on a little bit. What they're saying where life is found, maybe that is really where life is found. Maybe I'll take on the business practices. I'll treat my neighbors more like you're supposed to there. And maybe life will go a little bit better for me. So that's the context here of this letter. Now, what's our job in this? Okay. I think it's to be honest. And, and even if you can tell the intensity in my voice, or it's because again, I think that God wants to encourage us and shake us up. It's to evaluate ourselves to look and say, where do we fit into this whole big picture? It's to not be so arrogant, so obsessed with ourselves as we say navel gazing, right? Staring at, at ourselves and we're just looking through and we're trying to get all the dates just right or we're trying to say, who's Rome? Oh, that must be Obama. No, he's gone and I guess it wasn't him. Who's the Antichrist or Dragon? Oh, that must be Trump or that must be this political party and do all this stuff and just zoom out for a minute, slow down for a minute and say, God, what are you saying and what are you calling us to do? Who are you calling us to be? These seven churches are, again, seven specific churches. And more um, also the idea is that they likely reflect every church in the history of the world. Okay, that there are some churches, again, that are just suffering that are, 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 are being faithful one foot after the other, just, get, just taking it on the chin. And God says, I want to encourage you. I want to keep you going. And then there are other churches that, that are getting really comfortable. And God says, no, no, you're getting lulled to sleep. I want you in the game. All right, I've given you my Holy Spirit. You're an all-star. I want you to get in the game and you need to wake up. You are, you've, you've, you've fallen asleep. And our job, I think even next week, will be helpful for us to evaluate where are we? Where are we individually? Where are we corporately? I don't want to try to do the job of the Holy Spirit and tell you and us where we are. Okay, I, but let's have that kind of posture as we read this letter that is for us, but not to us. Okay, and John in, in verse nine just says, listen, I'm your brother. I'm your partner in tribulation. He's been suffering. He's been struggling. He's saying, listen, I'm with you. I have suffered. So as I write to you, I'm, I'm, I'm one of you. Okay, so again, it's someone else's mail. It's written for us, but not to us. And Jesus says, I want your eyes to be on me. And so it's a circular letter, first category. And now it's also a prophecy. You pick up with me in verse three. Blessed is the one who reads aloud the words of this, what? Prophecy. 
And blessed are those who hear and who keep what is written in it for the time is near. Okay, prophecy, right? Here it is now. You're excited. Okay, now it is. Now's when prophecy, oh, I know what that is. That's, that's predicting the future. That's like not, that's like God's version of tarot cards and things like that. Or that's, you know, that's God's version. That's like Ouija boards, right? But that's, that's bad. So we don't do that. But this is God's version of it. And so we just kind of read it that way. And now we can predict the future. Okay, on a personal level, on a, on a global level, and we can just use this thing. Well, there is historically some naming of dates and when things are going to happen, but Old Testament prophecy is the same as this. And the main idea, again, is not so God says, now you have the secret clues for the cosmic scavenger hunt that I'm sending the world on and just they're like, and let's be honest, that, that's kind of a mean God, by the way, isn't it? Like that's like an older sibling who's like, Hey, uh, I, I mom bought like special cereal. Any of you who grew up in a house like mine, you, some of you kids these days, all right, you don't even know, man, we got like sugary cereal, maybe five times in my childhood. And no lie, my brother would like mess with me by waking me up and telling me there was some kind of secret cereal out there that mom got, honeycomb, sugar smacks, whatever it is. Um, and, and then, you know, and then I'd go out looking and he'd be laughing, be like, no, or he'd be like, oh, sorry, I just ate the last bowl. And it was, uh, so I've got issues, I'm working through them. And, and, but that's how we treat revelation. We hear prophecy and we think, oh, this is the secret code. No, prophecy is... God's speaking, so listen up and obey. Prophecy is, thus says the Lord. Prophecy is, check yourself. And where there are, there are dates and predictions and things like that, it is so that God can remind people, because people then, like now, are like, oh, I don't know if God re really said that. I don't know if I'm going to obey, because I want to I wanna wait and see. And God says, no, 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 I will reveal that it is me speaking, because I'm going to give you the exact details of how this is going to go down, so you will know I am God, and this is my servant, this is my word, so listen up and obey. The prophecy is always meant to incite a faithful response from God's people. That's what it meant to these people in that day, and that's what it means for us. Again, it sometimes includes dates and details, but the big idea is you are blessed when you listen and obey, right? In verse three, blessed are those who hear and who keep what is written in it. Listen and obey. That is the big idea as we go into this whole thing. It's a circular letter. It's prophecy. It's a prophetic, authoritative message. God calling us to listen and obey. And then the last category is it's apocalyptic literature. Apocalypse. What is that? Now in verse one, again, thank you over there. Coop, you're doing, uh, got fingers, gymnastics, and Ming. Thank you guys. Work together. I'm keeping them on their toes, by the way. I just told them, guys, just try to keep up with me. I got to stutter. I got to stutter. I drank some cold brew. I'm spirit-filled this morning. Good luck. Um, so hopefully you are as well. All right, but in, in verse 1, in, in verse 1, right, the revelation, 
right? Revelation of Jesus Christ. So that word in Greek, I'm not even going to try to pronounce it, but it's apocalypse. It's apocalyptic, apocalypsis, something along those lines. It's the Greek word, but it, that word revelation is the same word um, apocalypse. Does anyone have a Spanish Bible, by the way, or speak Spanish? I'm pretty sure, but I didn't double check this. This book in Spanish is, that's that's what it's it's called, right? In the, the last, I believe it's, it's called... Um, Apocalypse. Now I just dug a hole and I'm in there, right? <laughs> Call me out of it. No one? Okay. But I'm pretty sure that the, 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 the Spanish word for this is like a, 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 a apocalypse. So again, it's important for us. I see at least one head nod. Either you're, you're standing in solidarity with me and I'm struggling or you're, you're telling me I'm right. No, either way, the word in Greek is apocalypse. So what is apocalypse? Again, right? Because So it's important. It's not Oh, it's the end times when, when Mount Lemon catches on fire again. This next time is going to be the one, right? I hope not. That's my happy place. I love Mount Lemon. But right, we start thinking, oh, now it's going to happen. Or again, when I was a kid, I told you I was, I'd be in Arkansas. These crazy lightning storms would happen. And my brother and I would be on our face speaking in tongues like, this is it. This is the apocalypse. It's coming because mom's at work at a bar. God bless her. She's provoked. I didn't force, but this is the end times. Jesus is coming back right now. This is what the apocalypse right? Apocalypse now. We think along these lines. Well, that is not what this is. Apocalypse is God pulling back the curtain and revealing what is true. It is God giving us a glimpse into reality. Because as we said earlier, I think we need to be humble enough to acknowledge and recognize that we are, lulled, we are being told all kinds of different stories and different messages. And God's saying, this is the real one. Okay, I'll briefly give us a little helpful illustration. Um, and just, I didn't even talk about football or overtime or, you know, calls on fourth down and all this and incredible quarterback scrambles, U of A, if some of you aren't tracking with me yesterday. But let me just give you this illustration, okay? What comes to mind? So God is revealing his perspective. If you or I are U of A fans, hypothetically, right? And we're watching the 1997, some of you weren't even born, so you need to know your history, know your family lineage. But you went back and watched the 1997 NCAA basketball tournament and you would see that number four seed U of A is playing overall number one seed. Kansas, Justin, you with me? Anyone here remember this? This glorious time in human history? Well, anyway, you can see U of A just takes down Goliath. And I'm short. I've got a Napoleon complex. So this is, I love this. Um, U of A just knocks down Goliath after Goliath. I think it was the first time ever that, 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 that a low seed like that knocked, we knocked out three number one seeds. And then in the championship game, it, we are playing the returning champ, Kentucky Wildcats, and it goes to overtime and U of A wins and we win it all. Well, if you're watching that and you don't know what's happening, man, your hair, your hair is getting gray and you're losing. Like as the minute goes by, you are just sweating it out. Then on the flip side, there are others where you could be watching a game and thinking, man, my team's got this in the bag. And you don't know it was one of the all-time failures where a team just gave up, like the Green Bay Packers gave up this massive lead in the playoffs to the Seattle Seahawks. And, and, and if you were watching that as a Packers fan, you're like, oh, they've got this in the bag. And then you're like, oh, maybe I'm, I'm seeing things wrong. God is pulling back the curtain and saying, let me just give you a little window into how I see things. 
let me reveal to you what's actually going on. Okay, he wants to show us, but here's again an important thing for us to understand. God is not, and these Hebrew, um, these, these authors here, are they don't think or write like we think or write. And unless we acknowledge that, we're going to be frustrated and or confused. Because we, it, this is not a chronological order of events. God is saying, let me just give you little windows, little glimpses into what's actually happening in the world. Okay, so again, for example, right now, Revelation chapter one is written, like I said, around 95, 96 AD. And he's talking in the present tense. This is what's actually happening right now. He's writing to, John is writing to these seven churches. Well, then in chapter 12, you all of a sudden get what from our perspective is this crazy scene I believe it was probably pretty crazy for them as well, but they understood it a little bit better than us. He, in chapter 12, he now all of a sudden goes 90 years in the past to Christmas, to when Jesus is born. And there is this scene that is incredible. And there is a woman that is crying out, which let's be honest, that's what happens in a birth, right? A woman is screaming, but it's not just because of the birth pains and the experience there, but it's also because there's this dragon, this multi-headed dragon that's, that's going to try to devour her son. But then it unfolds over the next couple of chapters and that son will grow up and become a king who will then, who will then, there's a bloody battle and he will kill this dragon. And God says, um, I know you sing like Mary, did you know, and silent night and jingle bells. But let me, let me just re, reframe your understanding of the nativity, of the manger. And it doesn't mean that the shepherds and all that isn't true, right? But it's this, hear me. This is our perspective, right? A young woman, a carpenter in a seemingly obscure town in the middle of the, what we now call the Middle East, right? Modern day Israel and, and, and all this stuff and they have to flee. And then there's these, these shepherds and, and these wise men. And, and then God says, let me, let me give you my view. Let me invite you into how I see things for a minute. Yes, all that happened. And, and it's also at the same time, there is this cosmic battle that you are blind to, that I want to reveal. I want to open your eyes to. Okay, so this year, Christmas Eve service is going to be a little different. No, <laughs> it's going to be fun. No, but the whole point again is so God will awaken our imaginations so that we can be faithful and follow him. The whole point of apocalyptic look, literature is to stoke our imaginations, to wake us up from our slumber and to set us on fire to follow our King. Let me just read this and I'm getting out of time here a little bit, but let me, um, let me just read this quote here. You, uh, from Mike Goheen, a theologian who helped walk all the different redemption congregations through this whole time in understanding revelation. This is what he says. We have it up here. Thank you. Revelation is trying to rouse and liberate God's people from being intoxicated and enchanted by the magic spell of Roman economic, political, and cultural idolatry in order to set apart for faithful witness to the truth of God's kingdom. 
Revelation does this by liberating and refurbishing our imagination with symbolic imagery. So again, it's important for us to understand that Roman economic, political, and cultural idolatry is happening in the world at this time. And people are either terrified of it or they're participating in it. Maybe unknowingly, again, worshiping false gods. And Jesus is saying, listen, I want to comfort those of you who are terrified. And I want to shake those of you who are worshiping these other gods, these false gods who don't see that I'm the real king, Jesus says. And I want you to be set right. And so he uses apocalyptic literature to help awaken and enliven our imaginations. That's really hard for some of us. Engineers, I'm looking at you right now. No, um, okay, some of you who are more like artists and things like that, and I'm not even there either, but you just think in these ways. You're creative. You come up with all these ideas. You write songs. You come up with poetry, all this different stuff. Um, that's good, and you get this. Others of us are all, we want charts and Excel sheets, and, and, and we want all the dates and everything figured out. And again, that's just not the purpose here. The purpose is to enliven our imagination. So some of us, to help kind of catch us up to speed, um, we need to read or watch or listen to, man, praise God for audiobooks. Anyone? I, I used to pretend like I read a lot. Now I listen a lot because it's so easy. You just put in your, 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 you know, headphones and you can just listen. Well, um, maybe as families or at least watch something specifically like what came to mind for me, J.R. Tolkien, the Lord of the Rings whole tr trilogy or C.S. Lewis, the Chronicles of Narnia, these different things, right? When we read in here, um, like in verse 15, the voice of rushing waters, who's that making? Aslan. You read C.S. Lewis talking about Aslan, the, the Messiah, the Jesus, the king figure, and you see like pictures and you hear sounds. And that's what Revelation does. It uses images that would make sense to the people in that time. But also as we dig in, it can work for us too to understand what does that mean? What would it look like to be just going about your work and then all of a sudden hear this, this rushing wind? Or what would it look like? Like in, in, in the second of the Lord of the Rings books, the, the two towers, to be struggling. Just again, right now, let's imagine, let's even pray for our brothers and sisters around the world who are, who are just, can you imagine just the, the, the fear and the struggle in places like Iran, in, in Syria, and again, as I mentioned, China or India being the threat of, in some cases, even our own family members. Might, if they find out, they might turn me in. I might, my life, my, my job, my family, my hopes, my dreams might be devastated. I'm, but I'm trying day after day. God, I'm waking up this morning and I'm praying to you. If I'm privileged enough to actually have a Bible I, I'm, I'm clinging to your word, but it's exhausting. I'm so tired. Then imagine the scene in, at Helm's Deep where the hobbits, or the, that's who I 
identify with for obvious reasons, right? Or the dwarfs or the elves, if any of us are arrogant enough to think we're like the elves, right? But we're, we're just battling it in Helm's Deep. Just, just the enemy is coming from every side and we're just getting defeated and we're struggling. And then all of a sudden, the Messiah figure shows up on the hill. Gandalf, who was Gandalf the Grey and died, is now resurrected as Gandalf the White, shining, glowing on a white horse and comes, comes galloping down and saves the day. That's what God wants to do among us. He wants us to understand who's our enemy. It would be so easy for these people to think it's Rome. Just like it's so easy for us to think it's this political party or that political party or that country or that nation. He would say, no, no, no. Let me pull back the curtain. The real enemy, the enemy of your souls, as at work. He's trying to keep you terrified over here. He's trying to keep you lulled to sleep over here. He's trying to keep you thinking that participating in the worship of these false gods is actually going to fulfill you, but it's not. Wake up. Come and follow me, says King Jesus. John goes on this rant. He goes off right here in like verses 10 through 16, and I don't have time to go through it all. I'm in my seat in just a moment. But he goes on, and it's not literal, but he goes off and he talks about Jesus, and his, his eyes are, are, are piercing, and his voice thunders, and his hair is white, because that is the, 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 the symbol of wisdom, and his long robe with a golden sash around his chest, and his feet are like burnished bronze, and we're like, I don't get what all that is. Let me just skip through it. Well, this is like in our day, this is like he, he, he uses um, A-10s, right? They fly in F-16s and all these planes that are either, either in some places of the world, the sign of fear and terror. Like what is one of those going to do to me next? Or let's just be honest in our culture. And I'm a patriot, by the way, Navy, family, all this stuff I love. But if our hope is in these things, Jesus says, no, let me tell you those things. Like my fingernails are uh, aircraft carriers. All right. My, my, my toenails, the shoes that I put, the slippers, when I kick up my feet, like those are like nuclear, uh, missile silos. Okay. I use all the New York stock exchange is like the chains that I jingle in my pocket. And some of you, again, you know, like, like, like grandpas used to have, right. Hopefully still do. When I become a grandpa, I'm just keeping change in my pocket, but it's like, God's just like, this is, this is all the wealth, all the things that either keep you keep you afraid or 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 are 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 sucking you in to worshiping these things he sees jesus and jesus like wow you're all of that and then some embodied but then in verse 17 as i close when i saw him i fell at his feet as though dead that's what should happen, all right? If, if, if God, by your Holy Spirit right now, open our eyes and soften our hearts. If we see God for who he really is, we can't just sit there and be like, oh yeah, I think this is my opinion, whatever. No, this is what would really happen. And I pray God does it among us. We fall on our faces like dead, but look what he does. Jesus laid his right hand on me and he had to have stooped down in order to do that. Right? If someone's laying on the ground dead, you have to. And he puts his hand on and he says, I am the first and the last. Earlier he said, he's the king of kings. He's on the throne. What does God want to do among us as we walk through this series together? 
He wants to open our eyes to who he really is. For those of us who are not yet Christians, he's lovingly, gently putting his hand on our shoulder saying, listen, time is running out. There is a sense of urgency. And Jesus says, I'm revealing myself to you. I'm all powerful and I'm all good. Come and follow me. And for those of us who are just lazily wandering through life, who are just saying, yeah, I'm sprinkling a little bit of Jesus on my life and going from there. Church is my, you know, good luck charm that just helps me get the deal or the job or whatever that I want to get or the spouse or the future. He's saying, no, there's so much more for you. Wake up. Come and follow me. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we're yours right now. We are in your hands. As we prepare to respond, I'll just keep the prayer simple. Lord, lead us individually and as a whole church by your Holy Spirit to see and hear and respond to King Jesus. In his name we pray, amen.